2: On News Radio 680
3: WPTF.
1: And I'm Doug Lewis, certified financial planner.
3: And I'm Deborah Lewis, certified financial planner. And we're here to answer your questions for the next hour. Well, Doug, um, it's interesting that folks have questions as
2: they get closer to uh, retirement. And in some cases, um, there are widows among us. And one widow wrote a question that her husband had passed away and he was 55. She is 52 and he had some life insurance and a rather large traditional IRA. And so because she was the beneficiary, she wanted to know what do I do with the IRA? It's my understanding that I can keep this as a beneficiary IRA or make it my own. But This individual didn't really know what the difference this may make to her.
1: And uh, this particular individual is absolutely right. Because she was widowed, she does have two choices. She can go ahead and make it her own. That's called a rollover. Uh, And it's tax-free. She can roll over the entire IRA of her husband's 100% tax-free into her own IRA. That's one choice.
3: Okay.
2: Okay.
1: Another choice, however, is that she doesn't have to. She can leave it in his name with her as a beneficiary, and now it's a different kind of IRA, but that's still tax free.
2: All right. So if she was to roll it over as an inherited IRA, then is she, when they do the calculation, are they calculating it at the husband's age?
1: No, you you got confused. The inherited IRA is not rolled over. Okay. And a lot of people make that mistake. There are two terms for keeping it as his. Number 1, beneficiary IRA. Okay. Number 2, inherited IRA. Also number 3, stretch IRA, but all of those are where she doesn't take possession of it. Okay? Now, the other one is where she does roll it over into her own. And now it's her IRA. If she uh, if she rolls it over into her own, then there's certain benefits. And if she doesn't roll it over but leaves it in his name and herself as a beneficiary or right. as an inherited IRA, there are benefits there and disadvantages there. Uh, let me see if I can simplify it. First of all, if she rolls it over into her own. And, of course, I think you said that she was in her 50s. Right. Okay. So, she doesn't have to take anything out because she is under uh, 70 and a half years old. Correct. Mm -hmm. If she wants to take something out to live on, she can do that because it's her own. But she does pay tax. She pays three taxes. North Carolina tax, federal tax, and a 10% penalty tax.
2: For being under 59 and a half. Right.
1: On the other hand... If she leaves it in his name and she is a beneficiary, then she normally would have to start taking distributions in what they call a required minimum distribution or RMD. but it's the relator of december thirty one of the year that he would have turned seventy and a half or the year following his death. Obviously, The later would be when he's 70 and a half because he was only in his 50s. Okay, so she doesn't have to take anything out there, but neither does she have to take anything out if she rolls it into her own. The difference is that if she wants to take it and roll it into her own IRA and have total control, then she can still have the flexibility of taking money out when she wants it and not paying tax by using what's called Section 72T, which says, I want to take out uh, X dollars per month for X number of years. And the IRS says you can do that and avoid the penalty tax if you want as long as the X number of years is at least five years or until you're 59 and a half. And in her case, it would be, 59 and a half, so that'd be about seven years. So there's there's two different options of what to do with it. And then there's three different options about how to draw from it if she needs it. The bottom line is she needs to have a certified financial planner work with her on this because you can miss some of the exciting benefits that are there just by not knowing what the rules are and how to play them for you. But those are the two ways she can leave it and be a beneficiary or she can roll it into her own. Those are the two choices she
2: has. Doug, you know, over the years, there have been many widows that we've um, assisted, you know, in our our financial planning practice. And there are so many questions that a widow has once they lose their spouse.
1: Yeah. Once uh, looking back, Linda, through the years. It's rare, almost always I've recommended to do the rollover into her own IRA. Then you have one portfolio that you can rebalance and construct and so forth. And not worry about that suppose I need money out because you've always got the backup of 72T behind you.
2: And if you're out there listening and if you've recently become a widow or a widower, write down the questions that you have about your situation And if you, uh, whatever those questions are, whoever you use as your certified financial planner, as your advisor, that individual should be able to answer those questions. Call us at Lewis Financial Management if you'd like to make an appointment. That number in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000.
1: Carolyn, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. Linda Lewis, how can we help you this evening?
4: Uh, I just had questions about whether it would be advisable to get a fixed income annuity or not.
1: Well, that is a very good question because for some people, it's the worst possible decision you can make. And for other people, it's the only decision that makes sense. Tell me a little bit about yourself. How old are you, Carolyn? Uh,
4: 64.
1: You're 64 years old. Are you married or single? Married. Married. And are you working or retired? Working. You're working. Is your husband working?
4: Yes, he's working
1: too. Okay, so why is it that you're considering a fixed annuity?
4: Um, we were approached about it, and uh, we were just, and it sounded like it was too
1: good to be true. Um, well, that's a very interesting statement you made. We were approached. Very few people buy annuities uh, on their own. Somebody tries to sell them, and my knee-jerk reaction usually is, "Be careful," uh, because they are not. Uh, really investments. They're like a pension, okay? But I like to talk about investments as chickens because chickens give off eggs and it makes the understanding of annuities very easy. An annuity is a product in which you tell the insurance company, I'll give you all my chickens, that's all my investments, and you, Mr. Insurance Company, are going to give me a stream of eggs for my life and when I die, that's the end of the game. My children get nothing and you get to keep it. So, right. that, that doesn't sound so good when it's presented that way, does it?
4: No, it doesn't.
1: All right. Tell me about your investment portfolio. How large is your investment portfolio?
4: Well, this particular amount of, that we were
1: talking about. No, no, no. Don't do it that way. Never segment. Take take the whole thing, and then we'll come back to does it fit or not.
4: Okay. Uh, well, we have probably about $800,000 right. uh, uh, in, in investments.
1: Okay. We've got about $800,000 in uh, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds? That's right. Okay, is any of that in retirement plans? Uh, uh,
4: no, they're you know through our work.
2: It's probably in a four hundred one k, right?
1: Right, right. Oh, okay, right. that is a retirement plan. All right, so there's about eight hundred thousand in uh, company retirement plans, four hundred one ks, and and pensions. That's right. All right. Do you have any investments on your own that are not in a retirement account that you by uh, you you bought through the years on your own? Uh,
4: Yes, we probably have about 100000
1: in that. All right. So now we're looking at maybe nine hundred, close to a million dollars at the time that you both decide that you want to retire. That's right. At that time, you will be able to roll that money away from the 401ks, which you should always do. Never leave it with your employer. You can roll it tax-free into your own IRAs, and there's no taxes or penalties or costs. Okay. Now you will have the 800000 plus the 100000 Now you've got about $900,000. By the way, when would you plan on retiring? How many years? Uh,
4: probably two years for me and two and a half years for my husband.
1: Okay. All right. So at that time, of course, you will have another decision. Do we apply for Social Security now or do we delay? And Social Security is very much like a fixed annuity. So Security is a guaranteed income stream. Okay. So now you know you've got eggs, and they don't give you the choice to, what about my chickens? So Security Administration keeps their portion, and they just give you an income stream. Now we'll look at the total amount of chickens that you will have at that time. Let's say it is 900,000, and now we're going to compute... If you're my client and you're in my office, uh, then we would compute what are your living expense needs? What do you need to support the kind of lifestyle that you've dreamed of of supporting all the way through? You don't have to go to Costa Rica, by the way, and jump from a bungee cord as I did last week. But you do want to have the lifestyle that you want to do, the dream that you want. Okay. Then we will match those numbers against the number of chickens in your, that you have, the 900000 maybe it's a million dollars by now. And we'll see, all right, we've got that money coming in. Those are the eggs, and we haven't given up our chickens. And we also have Social Security income. Those are eggs and no chickens. And if indeed it looks like we can do it, then at that time, I'm going to say, don't even think of an annuity because you're giving up part of your principal, part of your investment.
2: Basically, what you're doing is giving up control, right, Doug?
1: That's right. You're giving up the control of the chickens, and there's certainly no need to do so now while they're working. And hopefully... I always like to plan it as best as possible that my clients never have to lose any of their principal. I generally don't like annuities. There is a case for them. I began answering your question by telling you in some cases they're perfect. And that would be what I call a spendthrift. Let's say you have a child who has really got a hard, hard time keeping money and you want to give them something, but you don't want them ever to have the way to be uh, to blow it. Carol- in that case, you might do a fixed annuity, but that's—it's rare that I've recommended those. I have recommended them in some in some cases. If you will call my office, Carolyn, uh, jot down my my office number. Yeah,
4: I know it. I, I'm thinking about calling you. Th- on Tuesday, anyway. <laughs> hey, well,
2: Carolyn, you know why he likes to t- tell this story? When we were newlyweds and God. we didn't have much money in those days, <laughs> that was a long time ago, <laughs> we had a lot of chickens and ducks and guinea hens. And every morning our children would go out and pick those eggs. <laughs> and that, you know, I mean, that's a true story right there. <laughs> but uh-huh. seriously, what you want. What you don't want is to lose control. Right. Because you and your dear husband, all these years, have been so diligently working. And, you know. W,
1: WPTF, 680
2: AM. All right. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for calling in. We'll
1: speak to you on Tuesday. And if you don't get me right away, make sure you ask for Deborah, And I'll be in later on in the day. And we will set up an appointment to
2: get together, Carolyn.
4: Thank you so much for taking my call. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Bye now. Have a wonderful week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises, and we're enjoying our callers this evening.
1: Linda, don't forget to remind me, when Carolyn comes in for her appointment, I think she should have a copy of The Middle Class Millionaire. Okay, very good. Th- I think that's good. the book I want to give her.
2: Yes, and it's wonderful to to meet folks and listeners like Carolyn and her husband. Um, so many of our, our wonderful listeners in the Triangle are doing what Carolyn and her husband are doing, working, diligently saving, and the issues come up, don't they, Doug? They
3: do. Call me, Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. 919-872-7000. Well, there was another interesting article that we saw in the Wall Street Journal,
2: and This one had to do, well, I guess, wasn't it in the news? Well, it was in the journal. And it had to do with a guide to making a change, a guide to firing an advisor. Yeah. You know, investors discuss many,
1: many tough issues with their financial advisors, like how much risk should I take and when should I cut my losses? But sometimes the most important question is when to tell the advisor you're fired. (laughs) And that's... Unfortunately, not an easy decision for some people to make. Cutting ties with someone you know who knows the intimate details about your life, the money that you've made, and so forth can be fraught with emotion
2: and doubt. And there are many reasons it could be time for a change. If your income and your assets grow substantially or your family goes through major events such as a divorce, for example your financial challenges evolve too. And your advisor's investment moves may also be questionable. Yeah, unfortunately, many people don't understand this
1: word advisor. They think of advisor as a person who gives advice. And it's not their fault. There is a huge misconception out there. Every stockbrokerage firm calls their stockbrokers advisors. Doesn't matter whether it's Bank of America or Merrill Lynch, or Edward Jones, or all of them, they call them advisors. The newspapers call them advisors, but they're not advisors. They are money managers, and there's a major difference. So if your, quote, quote, advisor isn't responding to your concerns or doesn't seem capable of resolving them, then these are clear indications that the relationship may definitely be at an end. And that's, uh, you know, The issue or the statement that came directly from Eleanor Blaney, who is the consumer advocate for the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards. She said, communication is incredibly important and you always need to ask yourself, do you feel that you deserve more? Money managers typically don't give that much communication. True financial planners, they are calling you, they are dealing with your mortgage issues, they're dealing with your estate issues, they're dealing with your retirement, with your investment issues, and so on. So communication is the first reason you want to fire, you may want to fire your quote quote advisor and, uh, An advisor should also help you come up with an allocation of assets that you can live with through thick and thin, and then do rebalancing. Rebalance your portfolio back to that allocation periodically. At our firm, we never let six months go by without contacting every one of our clients and giving them what we recommend as the rebalancing recommendations. And if your quote, quote, advisor... Is in doing that and giving you that kind of service, then there's another reason that you might want to consider firing your advisor.
2: And it's very important, isn't it, Doug, that all fees should be disclosed in writing. If they aren't disclosed, it is really a good sign that it's time to get out.
1: That's another reason.
2: Uh, you know, this This is always a point of contention. A lot of folks, I know that we get a lot of folks that come in and they get confused and it's be, and part of the reason is because the advisor or the salesperson didn't disclose how much they were getting paid in the transaction.
1: You know, take an example, Linda, of someone, let's say it's got a million dollar portfolio and they meet with me and I ask them, well, do you know how much your fees are, how much you're paying? And he says, well, I don't know, maybe one percent or something like that. OK, he doesn't know. And he guesses. But nobody's told him you're paying $10,000 a year and what are you getting for your $10,000 a year? Because they're not disclosed. They're not brought up. Many people that I meet with have told me that they, have, they don't even know. I have to search on their tax return to find it and so forth.
2: Or search on the statement. On so the statements. It's Sometimes hidden.
1: it's hidden on the statements and everything. So these are possible reasons, again, that you're not getting full disclosure of all your fees. Another reason that it might be time to change is you know after you've gotten a second opinion you should get a second opinion you should speak to someone speak to someone like us come see us and say and we will tell you whether you think that your portfolio is designed properly for you but once you've made the decision that it's time to leave then the most obvious question that you're going to be faced with is how do you find a new advisor and how do you find the right one now my personal advice Is what? (laughs) Is make sure you're getting an advisor, not another broker, not another money manager. You want an advisor who's going
2: to give you advice. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewis's on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you'd like to set up an appointment at Lewis Financial Management, we'll be happy to take your message or your call at 919-872-7000 nine one nine USA seven thousand.
1: And well, go to our website Doug at Dougandlinda.com. Doug and
2: okay, Doug, let's go back to our All right, so yeah. So many here. of
1: these so called advisors that are not advisors, they're money managers or their stockbrokers, many of them are indeed charging one percent a year or more, and that's on top of any fund fees or trading costs. Nevertheless, many investors do believe that they're too busy or they lack the knowledge to make smart investment decisions. So if that happens to be the kind of person that the, that you are, then you need to choose an advisor in a proper way. Be savvy. Ask the questions. Ask your advisor how he plans to justify the investment that he that he is making for you and the fees. Ask a lot of questions, because picking a new advisor who specializes in the issues that you need help with Is very important. You may think, and I like, Linda, that you've always said, write down all the questions you've got. You may think it's just a matter of, well, my investment portfolio. But lo and behold, what about your retirement plan? What what about your income taxes? What about your wills and your estate plan? So find a new advisor who specializes in all the areas that you need help with.
2: You know, Doug, uh, over the years, it's been very interesting. um, And I think there are a lot of folks out there that could probably identify with this. You know, you you go to a meeting with an advisor and and sometimes one of the the two, you know, if it's a couple, one of them may feel a little nervous. And you come out, you go to the meeting and you come out and you're glassy eyed. And most of what was said just kind of like goes over your head. And some people are just like, "Whoa, that's data overload. It's a lot of information." So let's keep it simple. You think about the questions that you have every week. Sometimes you think about it when you're driving to work, or you may think about it when you're laying your head on the pillow before you go to go to sleep, or if your husband takes another trip because that's what he does on his job. But, Whatever those questions are, whether they have to do with your retirement plan, your 401k, we don't have a will, when are we gonna get our estate planning issues? Um, What about an asset allocation in our investments? Oftentimes the wife has no clue where all the money's invested. And the worst case scenario is, the wife let her husband handle all the finances and then all of a sudden he gets disabled, she's never written a check. So whatever the situation is, you owe it to yourself because you're out there working day in and day out. Work with a certified financial planner that can answer your questions.
3: If you'd like further information, call us at 919-872-7000 or go to our website, DougAndLinda.com. That's DougAndLinda.com. Let's take the next caller, Doug.
1: All right, Virginia, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
5: I want to learn about the irrevocable trust under the
1: uh, living room. How old are you, Virginia? I'm 70. You're 70. Are you single, married, or widow? Married. You're married. All right. And how old is your husband? He's
5: 69.
1: All right. Your husband's 69. Yeah. And you are trying to draw up a living trust.
5: Right. A living trust. When we are gone, we don't want people to know what their state is. We don't want
1: to pay any inheritance, tax. All right, no, all right. No. so let's get your goals. First of all, you say that you're looking for something which people will not know what you had after you die. Right. That's confidentiality. That's all right. right. The next thing you said is about taxes? Yes. All right. Tell me what your goal is with regard to taxes.
5: I don't know.
1: I'm not familiar. With. But you'd like to avoid estate taxes? Yes. I see what you're saying. Avoid estate taxes. All right. All right. What is the size of the combined estate of you and your husband, approximately?
5: Oh, uh, I, I would say, at this
1: point, $300,000. right, about $300,000. That includes your home. Yeah. All right, and how about life insurance?
5: Uh, life insurance, cars, and the whole kit and kaboos. All
1: right. Everything all together is $300,000. Okay. Maybe a
5: little
1: less. All right. Well, the first thing is I need to tell you the good and the bad news. All right. Okay. The bad news is the revocable living trust will not help you save estate taxes at all. It
5: will not.
1: No. The good news is you don't have any problem. You won't have to pay any estate taxes. If you did, I would give you the bad news and tell you that the revocable living trust won't help. Right. It, now, let's go back to what is this revocable living trust. First of all, you called it an irrevocable living right. trust. There are two types. Do you know the difference? No,
5: I do not. That's what I'm trying to find out.
1: All right. First of all, a revocable living trust is a trust that you can change your mind on while you're alive. Yeah. An irrevocable living trust is one you can't change your mind on.
5: Oh. So okay. revocable, I can...
1: Right. That's, uh, right.
5: Mm-hmm, I, I, that's what I'm looking
1: at. All right. You want a revocable living trust, probably. Right. Because you don't have... Now, if your estate, let's say, was a million dollars, then I would tell you, you need to do some things that are irrevocable. We could do an irrevocable living trust for a charitable institution, you don't need an irrevocable trust. You can use a revocable trust. Reducable. Now let's see, what is this revocable trust? This revocable trust is a trust in which we set up the trust account and we make you the trustee of that trust account. The trustee is the manager. And then we change the ownership of everything you own now from your name as an individual to your name as the trustee of this trust. Right. So basically you're doing nothing. It sounds silly because all you're really doing is sort of like moving money from your right pocket to your left pocket. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. However, the crucial thing is at the time that you die, what's owned in your personal name then follows what they call the probate process. That's, That's in your will and that's open to the public for public knowledge. Right. But what's not in your own name, what's in the name of a trust, is not available to the public for public knowledge. Well,
5: that's what I wanted to ask you. I just had my property changed into uh, both our names. It was left to me. Uh, you, you had
1: your property changed into right. whose name?
5: My mother left, it, left mm. it to me. And I didn't even
2: realize it wasn't changed to both our names after we got married. Now it's jointly
5: owned, right? Right. So, would we have anything to do about that? i just changed that in the last month
1: or so well i would if I were you if you if you set up a, a a revocable living trust, by the way, tell me a little more about the rest of your assets first of all how much is the property worth?
5: Well, I would say the property would be worth a hundred
1: all right, the property's worth about a hundred thousand uh, all right, what else do you have let's and then I can tell you a little better if I think it's suitable. Well,
5: I think that i'. Don't really know of any um, big things that would, you know, be a massive amount of money.
1: Well, do you have any investments?
5: No, no, I don't. Because I retired. I...
1: All right. So you have? How about savings accounts?
2: Any CDs or?
5: No. no we, we uh, don't have any savings account. We just uh, have a hundred thousand cash.
1: All right, you have a hundred thousand in cash. In the bank. In the bank. And you have the real estate worth about a hundred thousand. Right. And then where's the other hundred thousand? Is that your home? Yes. Okay. And your home is the other hundred thousand. Right. All right. First of all, if I were you, I would I would make I would probably have the hundred thousand in cash. You could probably have it invested, producing more income for you and still be safe. But aside from that, that's an investment question. I would go ahead and have Your revocable living trust set up.
5: Do you make it just a regular wheel?
1: Well, what you do is you. And then
5: hang the revocable Uh
1: trust? Actually, you set up the trust today and you move your savings account into the name of the trust today. Uh You move your home into the name of the trust today. You move the other real estate into the trust today. And then you make a little will that says, anything I forgot to put in my trust, that's called a pour-over will, anything that I forgot to put in my trust at the time I die pours over into this trust. Oh, yeah. So now at the time that you die, there really is nothing in your, that your will has to do. And so there's nothing that anybody knows. The only thing people know is what was not in that trust.
5: Right. I see, Doug, uh, my) bond. And this is about a whole, you know, uh, a lot of thinking here. Yeah, I do have a will, and I do have all of what I'm talking about, but I'm going to make a change. I, I, you know, learned if, that I had not changed the property. Right. And so this is why I wanted that part explained to me, because we don't have children.
1: You want to set up a revocable living trust... Uh, Actually, two. One for yourself and one for your husband. You each want one. We do. Yes. You want two trusts, and you want these revocable living trusts to be done by an attorney, not by yourself or through a kit.
5: No, I have an attorney.
1: And if you will go ahead and call my office during the week, Linda will go ahead and And if you like, set up an appointment, and I will show you how to go ahead and do these, and I'll instruct your attorney about how they should be done best for you.
3: Well, thank you, Virginia. This is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner at Lewis Financial Management. Our number at the office is 919-872-7000. Call me at 919-872-7000. Another topic that I'd wanted to bring up on tonight's show, which was about financial plans in general. Yeah, a lot of people think financial
1: plans are for the rich.
3: And actually, studies show that comprehensive financial plans can benefit anyone at any income level.
1: That is definitely my experience, Deborah. It really is. Whether studies show it or don't show it, I know that the comprehensive financial plan can benefit people at all levels. And, you know, even maybe even more so, the ones that are at the lower income levels need it more than the ones that are in the higher income levels. Absolutely. But, you know, Doug, what is a comprehensive financial plan? Well, now, that is a very good question. I could spend a lot of time telling what a not, what not what is not a comprehensive <laughs> financial plan.
3: All right, Linda, why don't you give us, a, in a nutshell, what is a comprehensive financial plan? Well, the Certified Financial Planner
2: Board of Standards defines a comprehensive financial plan as one that covers savings and your investments, and what about planning for retirement, as we've been talking about, and it also covers education for your children, and what about those emergencies that come up every now and then, and if you have major purchases, as well as other financial goals that you may have, and of course, the necessity of insurance. So, It's comprehensive. It It, covers so many bases.
1: It's comprehensive, Linda. And unfortunately, what is being sold out there to many people is not a comprehensive financial plan. On the contrary, it's a plan just to invest money, a money management plan. But this is a comprehensive plan. And the only way to get into the higher income tax bracket is to
3: have a financial plan. That's right. If you look at people who are financially successful, most of them have been making very smart financial decisions all their life.
1: And the matter of decisions is crucial because the sooner that you start making those decisions, the sooner you know where you want to go if you have a plan to get there. And the more likely that you are or not going to be able to attain it. And the one thing that nobody can give you is extra time. So if you start in your 20s, you don't have you don't you don't ha- have to save that yeah, much yeah you don't have to save that much the longer you wait And that's not to say that people haven't come to us in their 80s and their 90s for planning. Well, for sure. Very
3: few, but still, they do. Well, uh, and the last last
1: couple, we've had had a few in their 80s and one in their 90s. Right, right, right. right. But the longer you wait, the more you have to
3: save to make that goal. And that's the big thing. That's right. The more time investments have to grow, the less money an individual will need to put away in order to achieve the same returns as someone who gave their money less time to grow. Mm -hmm. So basically what we're saying is, Don't
2: wait. Call us. That's right. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. You can call us right now and leave your name and number. The number to call in Raleigh is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And comprehensive financial planning. That's what we're talking about if
3: you've just uh, tuned in. That's right. And so here are a few... Uh, reasons to go ahead and get started on your own comprehensive financial plan.
1: Yeah, I'm going to say the first reason for a comprehensive financial plan is it's going to help define your financial goals. It's got to define your goals.
3: That's right. Most planners will begin, like we do, by asking, what is your financial goal? What goals do you have? And for couples, sometimes this is the first time that they've even gotten on the same page.
1: Yeah, that is uh, a crucial, the most crucial beginning point. It's going to help you define what those goals are. And then the second thing the plan will do for you is it's going to help you see whether your goals are realistic, especially within your own timelines.
2: So after you take a look at your goals, you need to look at how much do you need to save? What types of investments should you make? And then your planner can do a cost-benefit analysis. Are your goals realistic? Are they attainable? And most of us have
3: more goals than financial resources. Wouldn't you agree, Debs? Absolutely. It's usually not that the goal is not attainable, it's that the timeline is not attainable. Right. So this is a huge concern. So it's another reason why you need to get a comprehensive financial plan in order and another benefit is it will help you see how you can bring your spending in line with those goals.
1: Yeah, that's important also because once you know where you're headed and how long it's going to take to get there, then you can look at your cash flow to find out if you're spending more money than you're taking in. And if that's the case and you end up with a negative cash flow, there's no way that you can meet your goals. And so now we have to go ahead and solve the issue of cash flow back to the issue of what are your recurring monthly expenses and what are your discretionary expenses
3: and you know you said solve and that's the biggest uh, biggest thing i think is that the comprehensive financial plan will show you what money mistakes you're currently making and by analyzing not just the spending but the overall financial picture sometimes it exp- exposes these mistakes but it also exposes how easy the fixes can be and that's the bigger you know the bigger benefit to all of these Um, attributes of financial plans
2: yeah the the exercise of analyzing expenses often surprises people but in the end they come out smiling because um you know people's lives are busy right everybody's working moms are taking kids to you know soccer practice and gymnastics
3: and so life is busy and Linda you always give the best advice saying you know as you're listening write down your questions call us and ask those questions because that's what many people do. On Monday we spend a lot of time talking to people who have written down their questions and they know what's top on their list of questions that need to be answered.
2: And ask your husband, "Honey, isn't it time for us to have a comprehensive financial plan? I heard about that on the radio." That's right. Let's call Lewis Financial Management 919 919- Eight seven two seven thousand. That's nine one nine USA seven thousand. And I do believe we have a caller.
1: Marceline, this is Doug Lewis. How can I help you?
4: I had a question about lump sum buyout for retirement. Right. A uh, sum of twenty five thousand. The IRS kept out. Well, it's, I think I got seventeen thousand two hundred. Take home. Okay. What's the best way for me to invest that so that I can get some of that back? What should I do with that
1: money? All right, let's see if I understand your question, Marceline. Uh, First of all, how old are you?
5: Fifty-five.
1: You're fifty-five, and you took retirement, and you got a lump sum distribution from your retirement plan?
5: That's
1: right. All right. Did you get any notice giving you the three or four choices ahead of time that you could do? No. You should have been given a letter telling you that you had a choice of taking a lump sum or doing what's called an IRA rollover and having no taxes taken out.
4: No, did not get
1: that. So you got your check, and it was a distribution of 25000 minus taxes? Right. 17200 right. Well, you have 60 days to open up an IRA rollover account, and you can put the money into the IRA rollover account. Now, the bad news is you must put in 25000 not 17200 Okay. I shouldn't say you have to, but if you want to get everything back, here's the way you do it. Because, first of all, you got hit with federal tax and then state tax and also a 10% penalty. You can avoid all of them and get the entire 25000 back in your IRA, which you could have done, by the way, if you had set up an IRA rollover account before you retired and told them to take no taxes out and send it over straight to that new IRA. But if you will put $25,000 in an IRA rollover account when you file your tax return, you'll get back the seven thousand eight hundred dollars that was withheld. Okay. Now once you've set it up, let's discuss your question of what you should be investing in, right? Right. Okay. You're fifty five, married or single? Married. Married. Now you're no longer working, right? You're retired. Right. Okay. Is your husband you, you don't have any children living at home, do you? No. Okay. How about your husband? Is he working?
4: He's he's retired but working part time.
1: All right. What's his income?
4: About
1: 30000 Oh, he's making fairly good income still part-time. Right. Okay. This is the only income source you've got. Is your husband's part-time work? Uh, no,
4: we have some rental property.
1: Is your rental income and this income of your husband's enough to cover your expenses? Oh, yes. All right. Yes. It, and is this going to be the only thing in your IRA, or do you have any other investments in, in, in other than your rental property? Uh,
4: yes, we have some other
1: then we probably want to go ahead and look at how to design an overall investment portfolio and see this 25000 as part of the total picture. For example, typically a person your age, I would say, should be no higher on the risk ladder than a growth in income fund, uh, maybe even lower, maybe balanced funds. On the other hand, once I looked at the total portfolio, I might change and recommend something a little, with a little more pizzazz to it. You see what I'm saying? Right. But the key is to, to get the tax money back because that's where you got hurt. I'm really shocked that you didn't uh, get anything from your employer. You don't have to pay those taxes. Uh-huh. You, you can get all of it back. Okay. If you will go ahead and call my office during the week, uh, if you have a pen, I'll give you that office number. Yes, I do. It's 919-872-7000. That's also USA 7,000, if you forget it. <laughs> okay, real good. All right, and speak to Linda, and she'll set up an appointment to meet with me, and then I can go over the whole thing, because the real estate also is curious to me.
2: Okay. And I look forward to your call, Marceline. Okay, thank All you right, so much. take care. Most folks who have worked over there, uh, you know, from the time that they started working after college, have retirement income issues, and they want to know, how do I manage
3: withdrawals from my retirement ink perfectly said because that's the biggest question if i'm saving money how do i manage the withdrawals when i get to retirement so after saving diligently and investing carefully throughout your career you might figure that come retirement you could just sort of set cruise control and say okay now just take out money but there's a lot to consider when you start worrying about how to take money from your retirement accounts
1: wow These days, managing withdrawals from your nest egg can be much more complicated than building the nest egg. You know, there's a traditional standard. We all remember what that traditional number is?
3: Oh, yeah. Plan on taking 4%.
1: Right. Plan on taking 4%. Well, and then some people try to go ahead and uh, adjust that and say, start with 4% and then adjust it for inflation. But... (laughs)
3: Not realistic.
1: Not realistic.
3: (laughs) Right. And then it's 4% with, without taxes, 4% of what? 4% of, you know, the, you know, it it gets, there is no such thing as a a rule of thumb.
1: More than more. One of the things that bothers me even more about that approach is most of those decide how many years you're going to live. And if you take 4% out over the number of years, they say in your life expectancy, you will end up having the money last your whole life course, if you live one year longer than that, then you went down below zero. So I don't like that method at all. I really don't because clearly there are just too many unknowns.
3: That's right. There could be market return unknowns, healthcare cost unknowns. How long are you going to live? And for any person or any system to predict your precise income needs, let alone the optimal amount you should withdraw from your nest egg over the course of a long retirement, it's just impossible.
1: It is impossible. It really is. And so- Uh, really managing the withdrawals becomes the most important thing to the new retiree.
3: So let me ask you, Doug, what are some things that the new retiree can do? Well, I would
1: say the most important thing the new retiree can and should do is start by creating a retirement budget. Okay. Start with a budget. And when I say a budget, I don't mean uh, in broad strokes. I mean, go to every one of your expenses And designate them as either essential expenses or discretionary expenses. We call those essential ones
3: recurring monthly expenses
1: (RMEs). Yes, Deborah, recurring monthly expenses (RMEs), and those aren't required like a a mortgage payment. They may be payment. (laughs) Well, those may be recurring monthly, and they probably are monthlies, but there's other monthlies.
3: Right, like I know how many pizzas a month I'm going to eat. It's just a part of my lifestyle.
1: Right, and you know about how many tanks of gas you're going to spend in a month's time. So those become our RMEs. These are what I call the essentials. This is your present monthly lifestyle. And then the second category are your discretionary expenses. That's the first thing that the retiree can and should do.
3: Okay. What else should they start doing? What or can they do? Well,
1: Deborah, I like the way you put it in our office. Recently I've listened to you tell clients that these are your guaranteed incomes, your guaranteed incomes. So that's going to be mainly social security. We can that a guaranteed income and we can call a pension if you've got a pension guaranteed, but you can focus on your guaranteed incomes as a second thing.
2: All right, so what about you know some folks also have questions about an annuity option?
1: Well here I would have to say no. you don't want to go the annuity route. Now I know there are a number of radio programs that are out there today which are really promoting annuities for retirees. Uh, Sometimes they just tell you right outright an annuity will just be the solution and others just say, well, just come on in and we will invite you to a free uh, luncheon and then after you go, you find out you're really being told annuities will help you. But I would say no, the annuity is not the option and the way to deal with your withdrawals because what you're doing there is you are actually leaving your money in the hands of an insurance company and taking an income like a like like a like a monthly check and accepting the fact that the time that you die your children get zero that's right and if you have increased needs you can't do it because sorry have, charlie sorry charlie it's just not a, so annuity options i say
3: no
2: so that's a that's a fixed amount right but as you were saying you lose control that's right and others have questions about What about scaling back your withdrawals? Yeah, I don't like that one either.
1: That's not going to be the plan that we're going to handle. Oh, I know how we'll plan for retirement. We'll just cut back. We'll just live less and less. No, that's not the way to do it. The way to do it is, number one, as I said, get your expenses categorized. Number two, get your guaranteed incomes. And then number three, meet with someone like myself, someone like Deborah, we are certified financial planners, and we then will go ahead and show you how to move to the next step without any particular sales pitch thrown at you, but rather how to really have that retirement income that you've been wanting to have, how to manage your, re- your withdrawals in such a proper way. Beyond that, you can't do it on your own. Don't look for one of these uh, little calculators, these robo planners that are out there, these little software packages that will do it. Don't trust your life with a software. That's not the way to do it. You need a human. You need a certified financial planner who is a fiduciary, who is fee-based, who will really look out for you.
3: That's right, that's right. You know... It
2: seems that as time goes on, whoever has been working the most, and in some families, you know, dad works, and he's been working for 10, 20, 30 years, and mom has been the homemaker, or maybe she's worked part-time. And uh, it's important that both spouses have a comfort about where we're at, what are our needs, and where are we going? That's right. Because you spend a lifetime working hard, dealing with crisis, educating the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And you want to feel comfortable at, those, at that next stage when you enter retirement that you've got all your ducks in order and you will have a comfortable income at that time. All right, Doug, let's take another call.
1: Buddy, this is Doug Lewis, certified financial planner. How can I help you?
0: Yeah, uh, the question, uh, the charitable remainder trust, I was just wondering, what kind of charge do y'all have for that?
1: Well, when you say y'all, that's probably, um, that's sort of a little bit of a a trick question because, first of all, uh, the attorney produces the trust document. Right. And I'm not an attorney. Right. I design charitable trust. Uh, I'm a financial planner and... Uh, basically, I'm the one that creates the whole strategy, or another certified financial planner designs, creates, and sees how it fits into the world or the needs of the client. Right. Uh, our, and our fees are depend on the client. I charge an hourly fee uh, for the um, initial meeting, and then afterwards, if we quote the client a flat fee, if that's what he wants, we give him a flat fee quotation. Right. Uh, what's your situation, buddy?
0: Uh, well, see what I'm trying to just figure out is, as far as like, if I had a piece of property uh, that I bought for hundred thousand and sold it for three hundred thousand, right? Uh, something in that kind of situation.
1: All right. That's an ideal, uh, and there's no mortgage on it, right? Right. Okay, because that's one of the boo boo, one of the one of the the the, the no nos in yeah. yeah that you can't in a Section six sixty four trust have any mortgage. But what you're saying is if you bought a piece for 100 and sell it for 300, then you're facing $200,000 of capital gain. And if I could keep the whole 300,000 and pay no capital gains tax, then you bring into the equation the growth component. How much the entire 300 can be in a tax-free environment. Right. Now, the key in establishing one of these is to see it in two lights. The first light, of course, is in the context of the entire need of the client what's his income uh what other income do you have buddy
0: uh total income probably uh, 80,000 a year
1: all right so you're making 80,000 a year i right. married a single I'm married married any children i'm sorry any children at home yeah three all right three children at home 80,000 a year income so you're living uh, not real real high on the hog right right all right. So we want to go ahead and see it in terms of the rest of your investment portfolio. We want to see it in terms of uh, a balance from retirement to, uh, to personal investments. That's the first way to look at the, fi- the the charitable trust scenario. The second way is to look at the six players, and the six players are very important to understand. Uh, the first player in a charitable remainder trust is of course the donor, and in this case, you would be the donor. Right. So what you do is you establish a charitable remainder trust with the help of your planner and you transfer the title of your property to this trust. The second player is the trustee. So what you do, the trustee runs the trust. So you give the title from you as the donor over to the trustee of the trust. The The third player is the income beneficiary. There must be a beneficiary of the trust that receives income and the fourth player is the charitable remainderman. That's going to be some nonprofit that receives it after you and your wife are dead and both passed away, usually. Right. The two other players, however, one is the administrator of the charitable trust who reports to the IRS and fi- helps file the tax return, and the sixth is the investment advisor. Right. Now, the big problem is most of the time these trusts are presented to you with the charitable remainderman saying, we'll be the trustee. Right. So in other words, you transfer the property, and they set up a charitable trust, and then they uh, invest the money. They say, we'll be your investment advisor, and we'll be your administrator, and you'll be the income beneficiary, and we don't get anything until after y'all die. I don't like that. Right. Because there's a conflict of interest between the uh, income beneficiary, yourself, and the charitable beneficiary, them, and the trustee is them. But the IRS allows you to be your own trustee. And that's the way that I prefer it. That all the control is in your hands. Right.
2: Do you have this parcel right now? I'm sorry? Do you have this piece of property right now?
0: Uh, Yes.
2: Okay.
1: The the real key, however, if you're going to be your own trustee, you must have an independent third-party administrator to report to the IRS and to show that you're never dipping your hand into the honey pot. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right.
2: If you'll call us at the office um, during the week, I'll be happy to send you some information about the charitable trust. And that number in Raleigh at our office is nine one nine eight seven two seven thousand. That's USA seven thousand. And thank you f- for calling, buddy.
1: I'll just finish up the question he asked about fee. Uh, the administrator will charge an ongoing fee, usually, buddy, about. Anywhere from a third of a percent to a half a percent of whatever is in the trust. And they take the fee from the trust assets. You don't pay that yourself. It's paid by the trust. Plus so, you would
2: pay whatever the fee would be to have the document drawn up.
1: On the front end.
2: From from the attorney.
1: Yeah, the attorney's <laughs> fee to produce the document. But on,
2: but on your end, you would give all the advice on how to uh, the uh, Yeah, the planner design. wants to be
1: coordinating, designing it and then helping select the investments. And the planner very often is the investment advisor who works for the trustee who is the client. That way, the client's in total control.
2: So just review this again, Doug. In his, in, in Buddy's situation where he has a parcel that he bought for 100000 but now is able to sell it at a market 000. value of
1: $300,000. He's got a $200,000 capital gain facing him. If he, he
2: sold it outright.
1: Right. Right. On the other hand, he could sell it and pay zero taxes. Within the charitable remainder trust. In the charitable remainder trust. Uh, It could grow to be over a million dollars and then produce for him lifetime income, probably double what he would have gotten in income off of the other position, doing it the other way.
2: And uh, the the nice thing about this is that basically what you're doing is you're controlling your social capital. Right. You would have otherwise have had to pay this money out in taxes. But in this... Situation where you set up a 664 trust, you control the social capital.
1: It's not his, it's destined to go somewhere. So instead of it going somewhere through taxation, he can control what charity or what university or what uh, medical research or what family foundation he would like it to go to to help society after he and his wife have passed away. Well, you know, I'm glad that somebody out there is interested in how to control the wealth they've accumulated and not just let it go to taxes because really everybody's situation is unique. You can become a middle-class millionaire very easily Everybody's story is different, right? Everybody's situation is different.
3: Everyone is different. So give us a call this week, Lewis Financial Management, 919 872 7000, and we'll talk about your situation.
1: And don't forget to go to our website, dougandlinda.com.
3: Everybody, have a great week. No money matters
1: because your financial future is at stake.
0: You've been listening to Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, you can call Doug, Linda, or Deborah. In Raleigh at 919 872 7000. That's 919 872 7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis on News Radio 680 WPTF.